Good job, guys. Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Storyline this morning. How about the kids? They were great. The band's amazing. Wow, the room looks awesome. And now me. Okay, so that's a tough act to follow, right? Yeah, I know. Wah, wah. Thanks so much. I'm still upset about the standing ovation last week for the little girl, whatever. Okay? So anyways, there's something about, uh, we all know it, right? Christmas and children, they just go together, right? Don't they? And, and I was talking last night to my friend Maggie at the Lakeshore uh, St. Joe basketball game. That's all I'm going to say about the game. Um, but, uh, and I asked Maggie, I said, how's your Christmas shaping up? She's 11 years old. She looks at me, her eyes get this big. She goes, the presents. Like, she's already kind of been investigating, I think, what's, you know, under the tree. And so it's true, right? For kids, they will just flat out tell you that Christmas is about the presents. It's about the presents. That's what it's about. And I love that. They're just that straightforward, that innocent. And it's, it's what is the joy for them is so much about the presents. And, and I want to stay with this theme here of kids and Christmas by telling you a little bit about one of the little girls that was up here on stage this morning. And her name is Theron White. And this is Theron. She's seven years old. She is the youngest daughter of Josh and Emily White. Josh was one of my students way back when he was in high school. And um, she's the youngest of, of their four children. And she, like many times younger siblings are, right? This girl is full of it, let me tell you right now. I mean, she has an edge to her. You can't see it in the picture. Like, you would never know it just looking at it. This is not something that can be explained. Theron cannot be explained. Theron is someone you have to experience, like to really appreciate, right? And so here she is doing one of her favorite things. Is that awesome? Right? Can you go back? John, can you go back and... This is Theron playing football against the boys. Yes? Is that amazing? I love it so much. Josh, Josh sent me that video and I'm like, there is, I am doing a talk about that video. That is incredible. And it's just like, that's the Theron I know, right? She's so cool. She's great. She has a, a really awesome nickname. Her nickname is Bear, and uh, she deserves it. Uh, I love nicknames because often they have a story that comes attached with them, right? Like we end up with our nicknames, and a lot of us have them, because of something about us. Um, they tell us more about, they tell people more about us than maybe our given names do, certainly. And Theron's nickname originally came from when her family lived in Australia, and they called her uh, Thayer Bear Koala Bear. And then it went to Thayer Bear, and now it's just Bear. And I think she, it fits her so well, whether she's playing football or her other favorite thing to do, hockey, right? <laughs> so she's great. I absolutely love her. That, that nickname seems to fit. And I've had a number of nicknames in my life. I'm sure a lot of us have. With a last name like Gathright, I've been called um, well, I've been called a lot of things, but the things I can tell you from the stage, uh, G, um, uh, G Wright, Gath, I was known as for a lot of times in high school. Um, one of my favorite nicknames came from um, some students in Los Angeles that I had in Los Angeles. It was the time when the Boys in the Hood film came out, and they started calling me G Money. I'm like, that is cool. <laughs> let's, let's get that to stick, right? 
And so um, my senior year in high school, my friends gave me a nickname. They thought this would be really funny. They gave me a nickname. I was playing on the basketball team. And I didn't appreciate this nickname as much. Okay, they actually made a huge banner. And one of my friends, Steve Shecker, was a cartoonist. He's a professional cartoonist. He's published books of cartoons. He drew this huge picture of what looked like this really old man, bald and like this. And underneath it was this big, huge, in big, huge letters that said, go squimp. And this was me, okay? And if you're wondering, this is a contraction for squirt and wimp, right? <laughs> Such wonderful friends I had, right? Now look, for the life of me, I have no idea why they would call me that, okay? <laughs> I have no, no clue whatsoever. Now, please keep in mind, this photo was taken before the invention of protein or, or sunshine, okay? So, anyway, oh my goodness. But the nickname that I've had in my life that I think means the most to me, and no one really calls me this, um, I also got from the time I lived in, when I was living in Los Angeles. I, I was a volunteer with Young Life at Venice High School in LA, and I spent a lot of time um, at a housing project called Mar Vista Gardens, and with some really, really cool kids that I just loved and adored. And, and here's the thing, everyone had a nickname. Everybody had a street name, what they would call it. And for instance, my friends Carlos and William and Arturo and Johnny went by Copeson, Wilder, Scooby, Brazos. That was their street names. And here I am with some of these guys at Young Life Camp in Woodleaf. Now, I'll be hard to pick out of this crowd, okay? <laughs> but see, I'm somewhere in there, all right? And so that's us at Woodleaf. I had to beg these guys. They, they were associated with a gang known as Mara Salvatrucha. These um, guys, were, they're all Salvadoran. And, but I, I begged them not to throw up that gang sign. So we're doing the V for Venice High School. Uh, and so they thought that was... Not as cool. But um, anyway, so uh, I convinced them to do that because, you know, obviously it's not a good idea to do that at any camp. But um, one of the things I began to notice when I was uh, hanging out at this housing project is some of the guys who were like really hardcore into this gang, they started to walk by me and kind of acknowledge me. And I didn't know if that was good or bad. And then a little bit later, they started to throw up this sign when they would go past me like this. They would do this every time they walked by. So like, boom, and you know, they walked by and they would see me and then they would do this. And I, it was a little bit disconcerting, I'm not gonna lie. You don't get that in Stevensville growing up that much. <laughs> not often anyways, maybe out here at night, you know. But um, so finally I asked, I asked my friend Carlos, I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? What, what are they doing? Are they coming after me with pitchforks? What is the, I don't get it. And, the, and my buddies, they laughed and laughed. They go, no, no, gee, that's your name. I'm like, what do you mean that's my name? They go, that's your street name. That's what, that's what we all, that's what you're known by. I'm like, I'm trying to figure it out. And they go, it's Mighty Whitey. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Mighty Whitey, right here. For years, kids would see me. Boom, that's what happened. And I was like, yep, that's me. I know it. Now, I, you know what? I didn't really appreciate the name that much, but it meant so much to me. It really, really did. Um, they called me Mighty Whitey. I felt like I belonged. I really did. And so that, that meant a lot to me. So here's a little Bible trivia, trivia for you. you. Ready? Did you know that Jesus has a nickname? 
It's true. He does. And God actually has a lot of names in the Bible, and so does Jesus, but there's this one nickname in particular that Jesus has that I'd like for us to consider this morning as we kind of stick with this themes of, of kids and Christmas, and it's a nickname that, that makes Jesus totally unique, and I think even as adults, it's a great clue for us as to what Christmas is all about. So I think you'd agree that we live in an age of like information overload. I saw uh, an interview last year with Elon Musk, and if you've ever seen a, a TED Talk or an interview with this guy, whether, some of us like him, some of us don't, but he is absolutely fascinating. He is the innovator and inventor, billionaire of Tesla and SpaceX, and he's probably going to be the world's first trillionaire. And so I, I wanted to put that up there so you see just that is more, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of zeros, right? So he was talking in this interview about the future, and he's talking about everything from like um, self-driving cars to living on Mars. It was totally fascinating. And then one of the last questions they asked him in this interview was, how long do you think it's going to be before human beings become like cyborgs? And cyborgs are part human, part machine. And Elon Musk, it just floored me when he did this, because this is what he did. Pulls out his phone, and he says... We already are. We already are. And then he goes on to talk, talk about how much of our, what used to have to be in our brain, we have offloaded to phones already. And the ways that we rely on them for keeping appointments, our alarms, our day-to-day tasks, our long-term calendar. We no, we no longer have to memorize phone numbers. Do you remember when everyone's phone number was just four digits, right? 7464, boom, that's all you needed to know. 429 and then whatever it was, right? Or if you were a city bumpkin up the street, 926 or whatever, right? (laughs) But everybody had that. Now we don't need to know our calendar. We don't need to know our appointments. There's notifications. We don't need to know math. I catch myself asking my phone, what's 9 plus 4? You know, it's like, or I don't have to wonder. This is two real questions I asked this week of my phone. How old is Idris Ilba? And how tall is Steph Curry, right? I don't even have to think about it anymore. And and I've got a computer talking to me, right? So almost all of the information in the world is available to us in an instant now. Almost all of the information. And here's the thing. There's a lot of information. So much information. One writer put it like this. This is going to blow you away. In 1900, human knowledge doubled at the rate of approximately every 100 years. That's how fast our human knowledge was doubling, okay? By 1945, the rate was doubling every 25 years. Today, human knowledge on average is averaging, is doubling every 13 months. Every 13 months, and we are quickly on our way with the help of the internet to the doubling of all human knowledge every 12 hours. Every 12 hours. That means the day is coming when we wake up at the end of that day, humanity will know twice as much as it did when, that morning when we got up. It's an unbelievable amount of information. Unbelievable amount of information. And now, as Elon Musk's like cyborgs, right, 
We have access to all of this information 24 7, 365, and it's not even at the touch of a button. It's by simply asking Siri or Alexa, and we've got it right there. And you know what? The same is true for spiritual information. Just for fun, yesterday I Googled Christmas. I got 4.98 billion results for Christmas in 0.93 seconds. And I know you're all thinking, well, he must live in Baroda. That's a slow <laughs> internet, right? What took so long? It was almost a full second before I got 5 billion results. And by the way, I don't live in Baroda. The other side of the street is Baroda. Okay, so, but it's a slow, it, you know, it's not a slow internet. It's a normal internet. Five billion hits, it's unbelievable. We, we know more than we've ever known about God. We have more information about the Bible, Bible history, Bible archaeology. There are more um, Bible studies and seminars and, and classes. The human race has never known more than it ha- knows right now Knows, we've never known more information than we know right now about God. So the question is like, why are things so messed up? Why, how can that be then? If we have all this information. Why in the age of information is there so little transformation? Why is this happening? What's going on? On Friday, the New York Times did a huge... Um, article that I highly recommend. They ran this huge piece on what they're calling the second pandemic. And I saw part of the headline and I'm like, oh my gosh, what now? And, but it's not some new variant of some new virus. It's the mental health of Americans. And this, this was the subtitle, right? The subtitle was anxious, overwhelmed, burned out, stressed, depressed, lonely, isolated, and stuck. That's how they describe Americans. We are awash in more information about everything, including God, but something is bad wrong. Something is bad wrong, and I know that we know it. We're not flourishing. We're not growing. We're struggling to learn. We're struggling to hold it together. We're not changing. And all of this information, very little transformation. Very little transformation. You know, since we've come back inside now for, it's been about two months now that we've been back inside, we've been kind of using this opportunity of coming back together inside, indoor, in person to review um, why it is that Storyline started in the first place. And so every week I've been kind of just taking a few minutes to go, oh, this is one aspect of why and how Storyline began. And I can tell you that this question, why in the age of information, is there so little transformation? is a big part of why Storyline started. It really is. Over 15 years ago, we felt like we were already noticing the spiritual information overload. Like everybody had access to everything you could ever want to know about God, yet here we were living in a transformation desert. Information overload, transformation desert. It's just, it wasn't adding up. It wasn't, all this information wasn't moving the needle. And so we began to wonder, maybe it's time to ask a different set of questions. Like, maybe not just look at what Jesus said or the things he explained or uh, his ideas, but what if we try to uh, 
cultivate an experience of God, the experience of Jesus. Let's, what if we looked at how he lived? And we started to ask questions like, what if Jesus knew what he was doing? What if Jesus knew what he was doing? What if Jesus knew how to help people find and form faith? Instead of just looking at him to get the information from him about God, what if he actually, the way he went about teaching people about God, maybe that's something we should be looking at as well. So how did that differ from what the modern church is doing? And we started to uncover a lot of new ideas. I'll give you one example. One theologian, he's actually a philosopher also at Calvin College, Grand Rapids, Michigan, one of my favorite writers. He claims that the church in the West, in Europe and in the United States, treats people very differently than Jesus did. Here's what he says. He says that the modern church treats us as if to be human means you, we are brains on a stick. Like our bodies and, the, and our real life experience is just to carry our brains around. That's all we are is what we think, what we believe to be true. And what he claims is too often with the church is talking about God and spiritual things as if it's all about information to, to be learned or ideas to be agreed with. But that is not how Jesus helped people to find and form faith. That isn't how he did it. He, was, he is a real person, not an idea. And Jesus taught experientially. He taught experientially. Folks often ask a lot of great questions about storyline. For, for example, just recently, I had somebody ask, like, why the public space? Why the public spaces all the time? Why, why a school and then a park and now a pub? And, and so there's so much emphasis on art and lighting and music and video. So what is going on with that? And the answer is we are trying, and it doesn't work every Sunday, right? And we're trying to cultivate an experience, a holistic experience, because we begin with this premise that God is not an idea to be accepted as true or a philosophy to be agreed with or a, a theology to be believed in. He's a person. God's a person. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but that's, that is what that God of the Bible, that's how he's presenting himself. He, he has a personality. He's a person to be experienced, to be experienced. And if we're more than just brains on a stick, and if our emotions, if our desires and our fears and our doubts and our longings, if our real everyday life and how life comes to us, if all that matters, and if, and if God is beyond explanation, if he's beyond explanation, if he's somehow, um, if, if he is someone who has to be experienced, then Christmas, God revealing himself as a person, starts to make more sense. It starts to make more sense. And we start to ask, maybe we start to have a, a little bit different questions when we enter into considering what that might look like for us. Like, what if what we really want isn't just more information about God or some new spiritual idea to be explained? 
or to, to put on this pile of everything we know. I just learned something new about God. I know how tall Steph Curry is now and how old Idris Ilba is. Just put it, you know, on my pile of the things I know. And maybe this experience with God, a relationship with God, is what moves the needle, is what moves us from learning more information about God to being transformed by God. That's kind of the premise that storyline is resting on, really, or one of them, which brings us back to nicknames, okay? And for me, the most important, the most telling nickname for Jesus comes from, actually, the, the story of Christmas in the Bible. And this is what the Bible says. This is, this is one of the passages. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they enjoyed their wedding night, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. That's big news. And it was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. So Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. And while he was trying to figure a way out of this mess, right, he had a dream. God's angel spoke to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will have a, a son. She will give birth to a son. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves. That's what the name Jesus literally means. It means God saves. Now, it is not like, and I didn't really know this, that, that Jesus is the first Jesus. There were lots of Jesuses when Jesus was born. Lots of people had that name. It was a common name then. It's a common name now, actually. Again, when I taught in Los Angeles, I had at least one Jesus, at least one Jesus in every class. Now, when you start a year, every teacher will tell you, you take roll call for that first time. One of the things that you do is you say, hey, I'm about to call names out loud. If I mispronounce your name, please let me know. Or if you want to go by something else, please let me know. And one year... I had a Jesus in class, and I said, Jesus Santa Maria. And he uh, raised his hand, and he goes, uh, you can call me Jesus. <laughs> and I, that was one of my favorite years of all time, because every single time I needed anything done, can you go to the office, can you do this, can you pass out papers, I would always ask him. And then he was done, I got to say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so awesome, every day. Four or five times a day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So fun. Anyway, so uh, look, if we're not careful, the Christmas story could stop right here. And that's what Christmas is about. We make it all about the mission of Jesus. God saves, which is very familiar. I mean, this is information that everybody has. If you ask any American on the street about Jesus, about Christianity, they're all going to know. They know the information. They're going to say something like, well, this is Jesus. It's, he's on the cross. He's forgiven us for our sins. He's saving the world. The information is readily available. Everybody has the information. So Jesus, God saves. That's not not true, right? But what God is doing in Christmas is beyond information. It's beyond information. It's not just the explanation of the mission of Jesus. It's the invitation to the experience of the man, 
of the person. And we all know what Jesus did, but where it gets fuzzy is when we ask the question, like, what's he doing? Like, right now, here, with us. That's where it gets fuzzy. But look at the, what the Bible does. If you keep going down just a few more lines, this is what it says. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So his name is Jesus, but his nickname, like what they call him, is Emmanuel. The mission is God saves. The man is God with us. The mission is God saves. The man is God with us. So what if we need more than a savior who just swoops in at the end to save the day? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds great to me, but I need a lot more than that. Believe me, I needed a lot more than that this week. What if what we really need is a God up close and personal? transforming us every day in between this one and our last. What if that's what we really need? Not just a God to be understood theoretically or believed in theologically or affirmed philosophically, but maybe we need more than a God who is on our side. We need a God who is by our side. Of all the people who realized this, blew me away. One of them was a man named Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan is a, was a world-famous cosmologist, had a very, very popular show on PBS forever. Um, he was an outspoken atheist, actually. And even he understood that knowledge and data and science, you know, they can explain things, they can be informative, but it is experience that transforms us. And he actually wrote a novel about this. It's a fabulous book. It's called Contact. It was made into a film starring Jodie Foster. And in it, he depicts this beautiful scene in which this scientist, Jodie Foster, who's also an atheist in the, in the film, travels into space and moves from explanation to experience.
celestial event. No. No words. No words. <laughs> to describe. Bullish me. They should have said the poet. So beautiful. I love that scene for so many reasons. It's so powerful, especially if you know her backstory as somebody who is just data-driven. That's it. That's all she was like. And then she's overwhelmed face-to-face -face with reality, capital R. This scientist is speechless, and she keeps saying, no words. There are no words. They should have sent a poet. I had no idea. I had no idea. You see, explanations, words fall short. Did you notice how her face changed? She's transformed back into being a little girl, like a kid at Christmas with the experience. And that is Christmas. It isn't about an idea. It isn't even about the mission God saves. It's about human beings, me and you, face to face with the man, Emmanuel, God with us. So amazing. Thank you guys. So, so good. Jesus means God saves. But that can easily become just more information and in the information overload that we call our lives. But Emmanuel, God with us, the refugee king running to us to be by our side, maybe that is the key to transformation. Maybe. So how can Christmas feel like it did again when we were a kid? Well, maybe the kids are right, that Christmas is all about presence. Jesus is the God who saves God on our side, but he is only that because of his nickname. He's only that because he's also Emmanuel. God with us, God by our side. Let's pray. Jesus, Emmanuel, we thank you for this time in this place, for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for the children and how they remind us just with their innocence and joy uh, of the meaning of Christmas. It is all about presence, your presence, your personal presence in our life. And I pray that this Christmas season, this week, you will help us to move forward into a personal relationship with you, to take you out of this category of information and to allow you to walk by our side and, and to be transformed in the midst of the first and second pandemic and all the pandemics to follow. Thank you so much for coming to us.
coming for us and being with us. God, I pray that you would, as we leave here today and we go over to the watermark to, to spend some time eating together and celebrating together, I pray for that food. I ask that you'd bless that food, bless our time together. And then when we depart from this place today, I ask that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. Um, we're heading over to the watermark here in a few minutes. I hope to see you there. Oh, so far.